You're listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast, hosted by Alan Draper and Eric Bassett. Each week, they'll discuss ways to scale and grow your pest control company with a goal of helping you become a bug money millionaire. If you're not keeping track of your books, right, which is what you should be doing from the beginning, right? As part of the initial business plan, you should know how to read a PL, right? You should know what your gross profit is. You should know all these different things that aren't overly complicated, but they can show you how healthy your business is doing from a profit standpoint. And then you have to be willing to understand that when you make your first hire, you're going to see that that's an investment, just like anything else is, right? You're going to spend money before that investment pays off. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Bug Bucks podcast. We're going to be talking about money today. We're going to be talking about building wealth through pest control. I don't feel like we talk about that enough. And so we're going to get into that today. Before we get started and before I catch up with Eric for just a bit, I just posted in our Facebook group, Start and Grow Your Pest Control Company. Number one, if you are not a member of that Facebook group, go and ask to join. It's only for people that are actually pest control company owners or those who are looking to start a company. Nobody else is allowed in there, no marketers, nothing. So there's none of the spam that can hit you up in other groups. Very powerful group. Focus mostly on the business aspects, right? It's, you know, we do talk about products. There was a conversation today about some different backpack sprayers and things like that, but it's mostly about the business aspects of starting your company and getting it to the next level. So make sure you join that. Start and grow your pest control company on Facebook. In that group today, I announced a competition that we're doing. Every time that you invite one of your friends that's in the pest control industry and they join that group, you get entered to win a flow zone backpack, which you know that's where we're headed. So we love the flow zones, nice little backpack sprayer to help you grow your company. So we're giving one of those away. So make sure you're in that group and make sure that you are inviting your fellow pest control associates. If they're not, I actually go through the process. The other moderators and I go through the process of doing some research. So if it's your buddy that you know works at Best Buy, he doesn't get in. So that won't count for the entry. But all right, Eric, how you feeling, man? I'm feeling pumped about this episode. This is going to be awesome. I'm super excited to talk about this. I love the idea of you know, how you can use a pest control company to build wealth, long-term residual wealth for your company, your family, you know, you personally, people that you're trying to help develop. And I'm pumped about the giveaway, I should say the competition with the flow zone. If you haven't used a battery powered backpack, dude, absolute game changer. So that's going to be great. Yeah. You know, I think let's kick it off with this. Is there something morally wrong with building a company in order, or at least one of the purposes is to build wealth and sustainability for you, your family, those that you're surrounding yourself with? I don't think so. And I think that some people are a little bit averse to the idea that that's all you're doing it for is building wealth, right? But when you think about what that wealth does, is it provides opportunities for you, your family, other employees. I mean, these big companies that we usually think about being, you know, money hungry, like these are people who have fantastic opportunities that's not just for them or the, for that company but for their families you know so do people want to build a huge company with lots of money sure but it seems even more absurd to think about building a company to not make a profit <laughs> you know what i mean so like are you in business not to have wealth that seems kind of crazy hmm. you know just kind of talking about this idea of wealth and what's the ceiling for your pcc like what can you grow it to be 
it reminds me of this quote or saying as borderline cliche. And I don't know if you've heard it, but it's something along the lines of, you know, individuals make what in terms of financially, they financially make whatever they believe themselves to be worth. So there's like these self-imposed ceilings and whatever we make, right? And this process, and I've kind of been engaged in this process of telling myself because I suffer from imposter syndrome. I suffer from these self-doubts, just like everybody else, right? Maybe a little above average, maybe a little more than the average person. I don't know. But, and so that's one of those things that I tell myself every morning, right? Is that, you know, and I think we need to tell ourselves that as pest control companies. And it's not bad, right? It's not bad to... Now, am I saying that it should be your number one priority? Absolutely not, right? Like The interesting thing is, if you find a problem, whatever business you're in, but especially in pest control, you find a problem that... you know Something that people struggle with, and you create a solution for that, people will gladly pay you. And in a lot of ways, when somebody pays you, they give you their hard-earned money for you helping them solve a problem. What's going on is they're saying, you know, that's how I'm voting, right? I'm voting with my dollars. I'm saying what you're providing is worth more to me than my money. And, you know, I think with pest control, sometimes we sell ourselves a little short and we don't think we're worth that much that, hey, we're just providing a service. I don't have a law degree. I'm not a surgeon, whatever, right? I'm not shooting rockets in outer space. But honestly, this may sound super cheesy, right? But I think that's one thing that holds a lot of pest control companies back is their founders, their owners, their operators don't believe that they're in an industry where they can produce extreme amounts of wealth. Absolutely. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And I feel like a lot of pest control companies, especially we talked about prices, you know, being able to have the flexibility to raise your prices and see the true value in your business. And for a lot of PCOs who look at their costs or their price tag along with the service and think like, you know, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, right? We talked about that before. And so they keep their prices really low so they can always maintain a high level of value. And that whole philosophy is kind of flawed because you're really limiting yourself. And like you said before, you're setting these ceilings that are easily touchable, but you're never going to surpass that. And then you get these other companies that have this abundance mentality, right? And I don't want to be like use a super zingy word, but it's true. You know, when you think that there is enough to go around for everybody, there's enough clients, right? There's enough pieces of the pie. You start thinking, man, what can I build this into? And what kind of opportunities can I provide for people? You know, that's such a different formula. And that's really where you start building wealth is when you kind of get those ceilings out of the way have that abundance mentality, and then start making a plan to actually hit those goals that are way above what you thought you were ever going to hit before. I mean, some of that stuff that you just said just struck me, hit home. And for me, it's a game changer. Talking about this abundance mentality that a lot of people think is, you know, some voodoo, right? You know, some practice or some change of paradigm that just makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. But it wasn't until I started adopting those things that my perspective of wealth, business development really started to change. I mean, look at us. What are we doing, Eric? You and I both own pest control companies, and we're here giving away like some of our deepest, darkest secrets, right? We're giving away the stuff that we treasure the most, and it's because it's not a zero-sum game. We can both win. We can all win, and with 
you know, having that abundance mentality and thinking, Hey, you know, it reminds me of that, like saying it's gotta be from some movie, but it's like something like I'm smart enough, you know, I'm good enough and doggone it. People like me or something like that. Yeah. But it's serious. Like you got to tell yourself that so that you don't have these self-imposed ceilings, right? These beliefs about money that are holding you back and you don't even know it. Right. My buddy, one time he shared this example of one day, I don't know if he was somebody recommended this to him or he heard it from somewhere else, but so it was for like a period of a month or something where every day, you know, he started with $1. Hey, if I had $1, what would I do with it? And then the next day he would double it. Well, if you double things long enough, you know, he gets into the hundreds of millions real quick. And what that allowed him to do is just expand his possibilities. And he just started to think about, man, I had all these limiting beliefs that I didn't even know I had. And I think those are super common in pest control where it's like, you know, we're blue collar workers and we have these ceilings. So I think step one, I think what we're kind of, you know, to summarize kind of where we're at at this point, step one is we have to defeat these limiting beliefs. We've talked about a few of them. Number one, hey, I'm not worthy. I don't have the capacity to build a company that's going to help me build extreme wealth and pest control. Number two, it's a zero-sum game, right? I'm not going to be able to survive or build this amount of wealth because of all the competitors out there. And, you know, there might be some worthiness issues too. I've heard of people that think, you know, I could do it. It's possible. There's, you know, you have this abundance mentality, but for some reason they believe that they're not worthy of it for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, you think about people's, you know, whether it's their salaries, whether it's their take-home money or whatever it is, you know, you've got these PCOs that have, as far as revenue and profit, everything's healthy, but then they're holding themselves back because they're kind of in this self-sacrificing cycle where they feel like they have to give everything to everybody else. You know, like it's always employees first, you know, business investments first. They don't take any dividends. They don't take any distributions. And they're kind of suffocating themselves in a way where it's like, hey man, this business is there to also benefit you, right? You deserve to reap some of these benefits as well, right? Along with your employees, along with who you're doing the opportunities for. But like you said, some of these guys just feel like they don't deserve it. They're not worthy of it, you know, or it like doesn't fit their persona. You know, they're like, Hey, I'm not in this for the money. And it's like, well, Hey, maybe you're not in it for the money, but could you be in it to provide opportunities for your family or provide, you know, game life changing opportunities for your kids, for school, you know, for their education, right? Like if you could build a company that can provide those types of things, and that is a big game changer. Yeah. You know, and I think we're kind of wrapping up this, you know, step one of believing that you're worthy, that it's possible, that it's not evil to build wealth, right? And kind of segmenting into this, how do you do it? And when I was kind of prepping for this episode, one of the first things that I thought of, which is kind of the Achilles heel in a lot of ways of the pest control industry, and that is the kind of do it yourself mentality. Right. You see it a lot. And I want to be clear. I don't think it's morally right or morally wrong to, you know, for a one man shop to do his own thing. That in of itself is benign to me. Like if he wants to, you know, I know guys in their 60s, Eric, they're still in crawl spaces. You know, they're still setting up termite stations and they're doing these things. I have, in terms of whether they should or shouldn't, that's a personal choice. I think they love the work. 
They don't necessarily want to deal with employees. It can be very difficult at times. And so, but we're going to set that group aside, right? For now, I'm talking to the guys and gals that want to build wealth. And step one is continue to replace yourself, let go of some of the control and build the vision of the company and kind of push it forward. Because I don't know that there's another way to build wealth through pest control by driving a service truck. You know, it's that idea that for me, if I want to get something done in my business, I know that I can do it probably quicker and most likely better than kind of anybody else, right? I know that. Exactly true. And it's that quote that says, hey, if you want to go quick, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, right? And, you know, these people, I think that they get a lot or they're concerned with their own personal contributions. I'm that type. I fall into that trap a lot where I think about what I'm contributing to the business, what I'm contributing to friendships, to relationships, to my family. And I am highly concerned with my level of contribution, but that leads me to want to maintain control over all these different things that I'm doing because I feel like delegating all of a sudden messes with my contribution level. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, what value do I have if I'm not doing that thing? Right. And you see, you get these PCOs and they're like, well, wait a minute. You know, if I'm not in the field, like if I'm not meeting with customers for all the initials, if I'm not talking to customers on the phone all the time, like what, what am I worth to the business? And you transition from that kind of thinking to what if my worth in the business is training and delegating other people so that they have opportunities so that I make sure that the experience that my customers have with these people is just as good or close to as good as what their experience with me would be, right? And so you transition the contribution you're giving to what it was before to giving those opportunities to other people. And that for me was the big step when it came to delegating is realizing that my contribution is teaching other people, not just doing it myself. You know, the thing that kind of, as you were just going through your thought process, I thought of was as we let go of some of the control, we are able to expand our influence because now we're not doing the day-to-day, but we're helping others do the day-to-day and maybe not at our level. And that's okay, but you're spreading the influence of the company and of yourself really, as opposed to you going out there and running around and knocking out 10 jobs, 10 initials, 12 initials, or maybe 15 regs, whatever it is. Now you're training a group of you know two, three people until it grows, and they're each doing 10, 15 services. And so you're spreading your influence. I think scaling a company involves a couple of aspects. I think there are a couple of concerns that the average PCO has. Number one is you just hit the nail on the head, that control. Right. You also mentioned the time. Like, I'm not going to argue with a PCO that says I can do it better and I can do it faster. And I probably do it, I care at a level that they don't. That's tough. I mean, I don't know that I can argue with that. Um, And so that's when you kind of get to this crossroads of can I let go some of this control? Does it have to be perfect for me? Or can I say, you know, this is a process. It's always a process, especially as you scale to, Make sure things are getting done properly because things will fall through the cracks. So there's a couple of things, right? Letting go of the control, being okay with it not 
being perfect every time. And then there's the financial aspect, Eric, of I get this question a lot. How do I know when I'm financially ready to hire my first technician? How do you answer that question? You know, and we've talked about this a little bit before. You know, if you're not keeping track of your books, right, which is what you should be doing from the beginning, right? As part of the initial business plan, you should know how to read a PL, right? You should know what your gross profit is. You should know all these different things that aren't overly complicated, but they can show you how healthy your business is doing from a profit standpoint. And then you have to be willing to understand that when you make your first hire, you're going to see that that's an investment, just like anything else is, right? You're going to spend money before that investment pays off, right? You hire a technician, that guy's going to cost you money first. And then as you continue to grow your business and grow more clients, you can grow laterally, right? And you will make a good ROI on that, but it might not be immediate and that's okay. You got to be patient just like any other good investment. You know, I talk about money a lot. Money's another thing that I think is benign. You can do some really terrible things with it, but you can also do a lot of good with it. And I believe that there are laws that govern money just like there are laws that govern our physical world, right? If I walk to the ceiling, like climb to my roof or whatever, up a ladder, take a pen, drop, and I've used this analogy before, drop the pen off. Everybody that's listening knows exactly what's going to happen with the pen. It's going to fall and hit the ground, right? The funny thing about money is that it follows laws as well, but people don't necessarily want to learn about them or they don't believe that there are laws that govern money. But you hit the nail on the head with one law that governs money. And that is, if you want to grow your money, you first have to stick your neck out there and invest in something that is unsure. And when you hire a technician, it's just, and you said this, it's like anything else, right? You're investing in the business. It's like buying a truck. It's like you know investing in a marketing campaign. And I think the reward corresponds to the amount of risk or the amount of unknown, right? What is guaranteed here? I tell you something that's guaranteed, that's you know 0.015% interest if you keep your money in just a bank account, right? Money market right now, right? And they're raising a little bit because of what the feds are doing with interest rates and things like that. But so that kind of shows that it's kind of there's this eternal correlation between risk and reward. So that leads me to the question of would you hire your first technician or your fifth or your tenth if there's this gap between the amount of customers that you currently have to pay for that position? And at what point do you feel comfortable that you're going to be able to pay for him or her with any increased revenue that results from that hire? So when it comes to staffing, I think that a lot of companies, especially the smaller that you are, the more risk there is involved. Because, you know, if you have enough, say you have enough customers to staff for three technicians, right? You know, hiring a fourth technician means that you are now increasing that by 33%, right? Which is a lot if you consider that. So you have to kind of have a growth plan that follows that same thing. But also you have to realize that let's say you have three technicians, same example. And one technician is sick or one technician just out and quits or can't work or gets hurt or something happens. Can your other two technicians do what three technicians would usually do? You know, so your staffing can be both an asset if you have enough and you have backup, or it can be a very big liability if you don't have enough or don't have a backup plan, right? And if that backup plan that you're talking about is you getting into a truck, what you're also saying is that all of the other upper level projects that you are doing 
are now at risk if that one technician can't be in a truck, right? So to kind of answer your question, you kind of have to staff a little bit above what you are currently looking at in hopes that you are going to fill that guy's route, right? We talked about this before and you mentioned this, you're betting on yourself, right? You are betting with dollars on your own vision for your pest control company that when you hire that guy that might be a little earlier than you expect, you will eventually fill his route with enough customers to where it's worth it. You know, and I actually like the pressure that comes with it. I really do. I've mentioned before that we started hiring technicians in in November and we had a like senior management meeting at the end of April that our CFO was on. And just yesterday, he told me that one thing I said during that call, like really scary. <laughs> and that was, I told people to hire for their departments before they needed it. And he's like, Alan, I don't... You know, you're either going to be really right or you're going to be really wrong. And part of it is we have a fairly large door to door team. We're pretty good at marketing and sales. And so I look at it as this is our eighth year in doing, you know, proof. We have 10 branches, we have a little bit of safety net that some companies don't have. But I like that pressure. I think in order to build wealth generally, especially at like an exponential rate, you have to err on the side of being in a position to grow and your problem being that you're not growing fast enough versus thinking that you know you're going to watch your pennies right i think you kind of got to err on that side and as we're wrapping up here eric i think a big part of it is what is you know and maybe we should have started this what does wealth mean to you i heard of a huge acquisition recently i've mentioned it before I'm very familiar with companies on both ends of the deal. They got a 4X, right? You know, knocking on $100 million. Pest control company hasn't been around for more than a couple of decades in that ballpark. And you're like, you're telling me that these guys built a $100 million company in a, you know, a home service industry in a couple of decades, right? And so maybe that type of wealth is different than what our listener is thinking about, right? And so maybe step one is, well, what does wealth mean to me? And starting there and creating this vision and these mile markers so that it doesn't feel like they're, you know, taking on too much. Yeah. You know, I think that wealth, like you said, it it means different things to different people. If you are an entomologist and you love being in the field, working with bugs, working with insects, and you get into pest control, maybe wealth for you is the fulfillment of being in the field, working with people and doing that, right? For me, you know, I am an associate certified entomologist, but my fulfillment is actually teaching and coaching and instruction and delegating and business development, right? Um, Similar to you where it's like, I want to help people grow their business and kind of break through their paradigms about what wealth is, right? And so what means a lot to me is time. If I can get my time back, right? Where if I have an asset, that can continually grow and produce revenue and give me an income, regardless of how involved I am physically, if I'm not having to solve all the immediate and urgent issues and it can still provide me an income, that means that it's giving me time and money and I can now pursue the things that are really fulfilling to me. That to me is wealth. And then you can scale that wealth with how much money and how much time. 
and what kind of other opportunities that I can go after, right? Do I want to have enough money and time that if my best friend comes to me and says, hey, Eric, I've got this huge business idea. I need an investor. It's going to be huge, but I need your help. I want to have the time and money that I can say, dude, let's do it, right? Or if my kids or my cousin or somebody that I know wants to have a special program for school or something happens, you know, that's true wealth to me, which is having not only the money, but the time. So that's what I go after. It means different things to different people. Yeah, exactly. So just to kind of wrap up here, I think I would recommend that, you know, our listener actually begin where we ended. Let's go through this process of discovering, ask yourself this question, what does wealth mean to me and why do I want it? What is the background of, you know, what is the impetus of me chasing this? Once I get an idea of that, and I think it evolves, right? As we reach a mile marker, then it's something else. And that's natural. I think that's a natural process. So once I get the, what does wealth mean to me and why should I pursue it? You get this really large why, and it can't be money, right? Because what I've learned is that money is always, it's always means to an end. It's never the end of itself. It's always, you know, I want stability for my family. I want my kids to be able to go to college. I want to help my, you know, my mom so that she has a comfortable life. I want to build a company so I can provide well-paying jobs, right? The money is always means to something else. Once we get that down, the what and the why, then we focus on, you know, am I worthy of it? What's my ceiling? You know, busting through some of those barriers. And then step three would be, well, this is how I scale my company and scale my wealth by continuing to replace myself and increasing my influence. Yep, absolutely. And if I put a little plug in here for a book, that's one of my absolute favorites by Simon Sinek. It's called Start With Why. And if you guys haven't read it yet, I highly recommend it. It does follow that kind of the process of choosing your purpose first and then working out from there. So awesome book. But yeah, Alan, I agree with you 100%. All right, man. Well, it's been great. You know, something that's near and dear to my heart. I think that, you know, the guys and gals out there listening to this, hey, you're worthy, you're capable, and it's very possible. I've just seen it too many times to think otherwise. So make sure if you want this type of information, this type of like energy to put into your pest control company, two things go to our Facebook group, start and grow your pest control company, request to join that, and to share this episode with others. You know, who's in your network that could really benefit from this information? Maybe somebody that's feeling a little down. Guys, we're getting into the summer. We're, you know, a few weeks into the, you know, door-to-door season and, you know, it's starting to get really buggy out there. We're starting to get busy and people need this energy. Make sure to spread it and it will come back tenfold to you. I 100% agree with that. And yeah, Eric and I are just going to keep, you know, providing information and helping. If you have recommendations about topics you'd like us to cover, let us know and We'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Bug Bucks podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please show your support by subscribing and leaving us a five-star rating. Thank you. And we'll catch you on next week's episode.